You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our wonderful sponsors, MailChimp Hover and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every single day. Sign up for a free account at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code DOGDAYS and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday, of course, today is Monday, and they've got great bundle promotions every month. Check them out at creativemarket.com. All right, here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So since last week, we are now up to nine patrons for a combined total of $52 a month. So again, huge, huge thanks to all of you that have already pledged your support for the show. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some great perks like special giveaways, we actually just did a giveaway last month, uh, early access to future episodes, or a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path make it happen our pledge levels start at just one dollar a month all right let's get on with this week's interview i talked with tamika d williams an associate professor of graphic design at alabama a&m university let's start the show all right so tell us who you are and what you do well my name is tamika d williams i am a professor of graphic design at alabama a&m university i'm a photographer I'm also a, of course, an educator will be within the professor, and I am a designer, practicing graphic designer as well. Okay. Tell me about what you teach at Alabama A&M. I actually coordinate the graphic design program at uh, Alabama A&M. I teach from entry-level graphic design courses to the advanced portfolio courses. And how long have you been doing that? At Alabama A&M would be six years, but I taught at a previous university prior to my arrival there. So I've been teaching on a college level, collegiate level for about 16 years. Okay. Now I know the semester kind of just ended fairly recently. Are you graduating a lot of students this year? Um, no, actually I average at Alabama and I'm averaging about, I want to say about five designers a year, anywhere from five to, to eight designers a year. Sometimes we'll have four, sometimes we have, you know, four semesters, sometimes we have six a semester or something like that. But I want to say on average, we're doing about five to eight designers a year. Okay. Is that usually pretty normal for a school that size? I would say it's normal for a program that size uh, because it really depends on the program. As you know, Alabama A&M is a, is a HBCU and a lot of visual art programs, depending on the status, depending on how many people are actually a part of the program. Sometimes their enrollment and, and graduation rates are low, and the graduation rates are low because it's nine times out of ten because of the enrollment. So you have some mm-hmm. programs that may be very small, maybe have like thirty students or something like that. But our program actually has more than that. Yeah, one thing I saw with my um, research through 
AIJ, I'm part of their diversity and inclusion task force. So I reach out to HBCUs to try to get student groups set up. That's actually how we, you know, sort of first met. And there's roughly about like 120 or so HBCUs in the U.S. And from what I can tell, a little less than half of those have some kind of an arts or design program as it relates to, you know, kind of visual arts or graphic arts. I see a lot that have an arts program, but it's only music. It Mm -hmm. doesn't have Mm -hmm. anything really to do with design or graphic art or anything like that. A lot of visual arts programs are very small. Yeah, I went to Mississippi Valley State, it'll be in Mississippi, and that program was small. I remember when the department head was actually recruiting for the school, she found me in the choir room. So she passed the (laughs) art room in the high school and, you know, went directly to the choir room and, you know, fortunately happened to be in the choir. So, you know, she went down there looking for music people and chorus. Most, and I've noticed that it, it, a lot of HBCUs, mo, it, where there's a fine arts department, the fine arts will have music and they will have visual arts. And nine times out of ten, the department head is normally a music person a, over mm-hmm. the choir or something like that, band. Like I said, she found me in the choir room and I said, well, hey, do you have art? And she was like, yeah, that's in my department. I was like, hey, let's kill two birds with one stone. You know, I'll sing in your choir and you'll pay for my <laughs> you'll, you'll pay for my art education. And so so we went with that. But that program was small. When I started at uh, Mississippi Valley, I started with about six or seven guys. It was me, six guys. We And I think it was, I, I want to say that incoming class may have been seven students and so there were maybe seven or eight already there so that program was pretty small I want to say at one point in time while I was at Valley that program may have gotten uh, about 20 any 15 to 20 students at one given time but I don't know it to have more students having had more students than that at A&M we have a larger program I would say if, if, we, if we get everybody together and how you have to change of major, my major changed to this, my major changed to that, and actually people declaring their major and us, you know, getting that, sanitizing that record keeping. I believe that we have, I know for a fact with my designers, I have about 60 to 70 students just that are declared graphic design majors, our concentration. And uh, there are other studio, we have studio there as well. So I want to say roughly in in a neighborhood of about 85 to to 100 students somewhere around in there so that's a pretty good size mm-hmm. that's not really that small that's that's a good size yeah. so what are like the specific classes that you're currently teaching i know you said that you the intro level oh uh, i have, um, oh, like you teach entry level and stuff like that Yeah, i start with graphic of course if you go by the names it's just graphic design one two and three and then advanced graphic design but the content of the course is you will have a entry level course that basically i teach about graphic design and I get them in on the computer to actually understand this particular tool that they're going to use throughout their graphic design curriculum. So I start with uh, basic how-to and, you know, Adobe programs and things like that while giving them history, graphic design history about what we're doing, why we're doing this, and what design is. Now, they build that, build on that from design courses. So you have, like, two-dimensional design and things of that nature that they are building before They get into my course, but the first course they take with me as a graphic designer or graphic design concentration is graphic design one, which is basically an entry level course of computer software. 
Now, I think when it comes to designers, particularly when I think about companies that are looking to recruit designers, companies, agencies, etc., I think everyone kind of overlooks HBCUs. Yes. Now, having both attended an HBCU and now currently teaching at one, what are they missing? What do you think they're missing by doing that? Now, this is one of this one of those. Uh, ooh, what can I say? What can I not say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> questions because companies are definitely missing out on the possible. Well, not it's not possible. They're actually missing out on the integration of of what blacks, African Americans have to offer when they don't choose. Uh, students from HBCU or when they don't look to HBCU say, hey, let us try recruiting efforts or let us try internship efforts from this particular HBCU. But because the HBCUs as a whole rarely acknowledges the design department or the visual arts department as a source of students for these other companies, companies Uh don't know to look to HBCUs. So then they'll go to, I taught at a predominantly uh, white university in Louisiana, Louisiana Tech, that school had 11,000 students. The program that I was in there, I want to say at one point they had 350 majors. Of those 350 majors, 200 of them were communication design or or graphic design. So they had a, a huge hole, you know, students to get through. They had internships, all of those things. They knew exactly, hey, this is a fine arts department or this is a professional degree department. We can pull our students from here. But the university promoted that. They filtered money into that area. HBCUs rarely do that sometimes. they Even to the point of their identity themselves, they will go out and find a company mm-hmm. to design something for them or Oh, we got this company over here to design this company. We got this company to do that rather than come into the visual arts department to get something done. Interesting. Yeah. You would think they would do that. They could just kind of do it in house. You, so you would. Yeah, you would think that. Now, with uh, by me coming to Alabama A&M, one of the reasons I came to HBCU, you know, I, I should address that. A lot of people will ask me, have asked me, OK, you went to Mississippi Valley State. I did my graduate work at a private, predominantly private institution, which was Memphis College of Art. But that that institution had so much diversity there. It wasn't a black and white thing. So you didn't see color. And Mm -hmm. I left there and went to a predominantly white university, Louisiana Tech. And it was almost culture shock. Now, notice I'm staying in the South with all of this. I went from Mississippi to Memphis, just still in the South in Tennessee, and then back to Louisiana and that was a culture shock. Just that little bit of travel was a culture shock there. When I arrived to Louisiana Tech, it was strictly black and white. I was the only black professor in the art department. Mm-hmm. Double minority, black professor, black female. And it was a culture shock there. And I'm like, okay, fine. Let me do the job. Let me do what I came here to do, which is teach design. And that's what I did. But through the course of me doing that, the students loved me. The black students loved me more. I did some work for Gramlin State University that was four miles, you know, to the west of the university. And they all oh, come over here. You should come over here. And I'm sitting here saying why when I don't see 
a designated graphic design program, uh-huh. Grambling State University. The students were coming from Grambling over to Louisiana Tech because Grambling State had a fine arts program, but it was not a designated visual arts that were designated for graphic design. It wasn't there. They were contracting work out to other places for the university and ended up, that's how they ended up contracting me. I did work for Grambling. You know, because, oh, we got a black designer. Did y'all look for a black designer prior to me falling into your lap like that? So it was night and day there. And by, I think that set a charge off for me that I needed to get to a school that had a graphic design program, HBCU, and teach our black designers. I needed to do that. So one of the reasons why I came over to Alabama A&M, I sought the public relations department and i said hey i need to see the university's designer there was none (laughs) Uh, you know rarely you have some schools that have designers and it was a shock that they don't well they do now because i'm there there was no designated graphic designer for the university was the first time i had ever heard of that Mississippi Valley recently hired, uh, well well, he's not there any longer but uh, a guy went to school with um Dartane Winford, he was younger than me. He was a couple of um, years under me when I was at Valley. But he ended up being Valley's uh, actual graphic designer at one point. And I think that was the first time Valley had a designated graphic designer, you know, for the university. There was a university photographer, but there was no (laughs) graphic designer. And that's unheard of when at Louisiana Tech, they had a department that was separate from the actual university is a media department or a graphic design department. When I went over to A&M, I said, well, hey, let me talk to your graphic designer. We don't have a graphic designer. Well, who's doing your design work? It's like dead silence. You know, we got this guy doing this over here. We have this guy doing this. And so it was, they were contracting a lot of work out. And I was like, well, wait a minute. We have a design department. We have to be able to do something. And I kind of walked into a situation there because I ended up doing work for the university. I'm actually contracted by the marketing communications and advancement department where I do a lot of the university's actual design. So anything that's going out to magazines, newspapers, any type of publications, those things, normally they come across my desk. I am the one designer for the university. That seems so backwards that HBCUs wouldn't try to, you know, really look at the resources that they have right there as opposed to s- sort of looking outward. Like you say, they're kind of contracting here, contracting well, there. You would want to say why, right? The, the, the big mm-hmm. question is why aren't they looking yeah. at that? So let's discuss that. Okay. <laughs> let's address that issue. Why aren't HBCUs looking at the departments or the, the fine arts departments for assistance, when it comes to developing a brand for the university or developing something for the university. Well, first off, you have secretaries who are familiar with publisher. And I think publisher ruins the design world. I, I, I really can't stand publisher. You know, it's, they have all this clip art and stuff and people just put stuff together. They have no idea what they're doing in terms of fonts and it drives me mad publisher drives Mm -hmm. me mad but people get in and they say okay well this looks great you know and they send it off disregarding typesetting disregarding resolution of images and things like that and they don't think there's something better or they don't know 
that there is something better out there. What they look at for fine arts is ceramics, painting, or sculpture or something of that nature. And something physical. Something physical, and they don't need that. So, oh, we're not going to the art department because they only paint over there. Or we're not going to the art department because they only, you know, throw clay on the, on the wheel over there. They're not doing anything that we need that's tangible. And then when they find out, well, who did this? I did this. Or my design students did that. Oh, wait, what? We do this in the visual arts is something that you see is visual. So we have to try to promote. There is We don't promote ourselves as a, a area where you can come get graphic design because then what happens there? Someone say, well, hey, give this to your students to do as a project as though I'm needing projects for my students to do. I, uh -huh. You know, I, like I'm saying, OK, I have nothing else to do. I haven't had any curriculum or anything set up or something set up for my students to actually do. So stop what I plan on doing for the students and give them this project for X, Y, Z department. So they can do this instead. And then we'll decide on which one I want. Well, no, I'm teaching my students how to make a living. Not how to right. do community service. Community service is part <laughs> of what we do. But this is your bread and butter. This is what God gave you to live. Okay. He designated you as a person to be a designer. And you need to develop that gift. And this is what you use to eat with. This is your bread and butter. Right. And you can choose to give it away. You know, go ahead and do that. That's no problem. But while you're here <laughs> in my program, you will not be giving this away. You give this away on your own time if you want to do that. But this is not what we do. I am teaching you or in theory, I'm supposed to be teaching you how to make a living. Every department, every program that a student majors in, regardless if it's biology, regardless if it's whatever it is. They are supposed to be in, in college in order to increase whatever major that they wanted to increase their ability and their knowledge so they can go out and make a living. That is what college is supposed to be for, you know, preparing us for that workforce. And by graphic design being a program where you have to actually generate this tangible item, your money your living is based on whether or not the consumer likes what you do. If mm -hmm. you don't, if they don't like it, you do not get paid. You will be changing their nickel and dime you from now until Kalamazoo. You know, hey, make this little change. Tweak this little thing here. Tweak this little thing this. And okay, by the way, here's $25 for your 250 hours worth of work. Thanks. Because mm -hmm. I couldn't do it without you. And, and I'm trying to, to get them in a mindset that you have to make a living. Your time is valuable. How much time are you spending at McDonald's? How much time are you spending at Route 21? How much time are you spending at Best Buy working these jobs? Best Buy says, okay, you're here for eight hours, and we're going to pay you $10 an hour for those eight hours. Yeah, you say, okay, great, Best Buy. I'm going to give you my best job. <laughs> Okay, for ten dollars an hour for eight hours, and I made eighty dollars that day. Now, this is what you're doing in as a visual artist, as a graphic designer. Someone say, "Hey, I need you to design a logo for me." Hey, I need you to design a stationary set for me. And you go in and you get the sketches, you get their ideas, and you put that together. And you gave that your best shot. Took you fifteen, took you twenty hours, and then someone said, "Okay, here's fifty dollars." 
50 bucks, 20 hours worth of work. Best Buy just paid me, you know, 80 for eight hours yeah. worth of work. They don't look at it as actually being a substantial or a way, a means of living. So they'll do this own design going on. Not this is what I do for a living. <laughs> so much of what you just said speaks to what my college experience was with design. So I went to Morehouse mm-hmm. and I wanted to start off kind of as a, actually, I wanted to be an English major. My mom said, you're not majoring that. You need to do something that will kind of make you a living. And so I started off with computer science, computer engineering. Mm -hmm. And then in high school, I always have been playing around with the web. I've been doing a couple of things here and there. And I, I mean, I've told this story on the show before, but Essentially, I went to my advisor and told him I wanted to do web design, Mm -hmm. and he told me I should probably change my major because we don't do that here. Now, Morehouse has an art department. It's mostly in conjunction with Spelman, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't, at least at the time when I was there, it wasn't super clear that it had anything to do with, like, graphic art or graphic design. It was more so, sort of like you said, like the physical, tangible stuff. It's painting. It's sculpture. Mm -hmm. It's not what I wanted to do, and so... I was always kind of doing design work on the side, a little website here, a little website there. I had done some work for Morehouse while I was a student, mm-hmm. kind of to what you were speaking of. I did a, a website for my scholarship program, and I didn't get paid for that. <laughs> I just did it because I was in the program, and it was like, oh, wow, this will be you know kind of a, a good opportunity. But I'll say, you know, kudos to you for teaching your students kind of not to accept, you know, the crumbs, like don't accept the the spec work and and that sort of stuff. Like really sort of value your skills and what you do as something that you should be paid for mm-hmm. accordingly as opposed to kind of putting them in the mindset of it being something they can always do on the side. Yeah, on the side. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's definitely not something that I want. But with that being said, and I know you, you like you said, you went to HBCU, so I'm assuming you had the same... HBCU experience and I'm looking at this from two sides I went to HBCU and I remember my time there as a student and I remember my time with my classmates and I remember how some classmates were I know how I was I know what I did and I know what I wanted and there was a constant drive for me to do the best that I could and want more, okay? Yeah. And so with that, you, I had that drive and I had this desire to, I wanted to do this. I wasn't sure what I was, because I remember when I graduated from Mississippi Valley, I did an internship at ETV in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Mississippi Educational Network, and they had a graphic, they had a huge, it wasn't a huge graphic design department on the space there, but they had three designers one lady, it was one lady there that was black, and it was maybe three or four other production artists and stuff. But I remember seeing this one, this one black lady there in myself. You know, I always have to be a little touch of color within those environments, and that's that's something I'm gonna touch on in a minute about race within these in this area too, and women in this area. That was the first time I saw four or five women within that graphic design area, and I said, okay, women are out here. They're there. Okay, let's do this. I was the only one in that group. When I told you I started at Valley, I was the only female in that group. There were two or three before me at Valley. So I don't remember ever seeing a lot of females there. And 
I, like I said, I had a desire to want to go out and do more and do more. When I got out of Valley, Mississippi Valley, I was trying to find a job. And I'm sitting there saying, nobody wants to hire me as a designer. And this is what I was hearing. Oh, you're overqualified. How am I overqualified? I haven't even done anything. I was overqualified because I had a degree. Do you know, after I graduated from Mississippi Valley, well, no, you don't know because I'm telling you now. After I graduated from <laughs> Mississippi Valley, I had the hardest time trying to find a regular job. We talk about Office Depot job, uh, something like that, because I was overqualified. And I'm saying I am not overqualified because I haven't done any work work to said, hey, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't grasp that. That that wasn't I was not comprehending the overqualification other than, hey, wait a minute, I have a college degree. Yes, that qualifies me to do something. But when I was growing up, all I used to hear is, hey, you got to finish high school or you will never get a job. Hey, yeah. you got to have four years of college. You, you never get a job. So wait a yeah. minute, did they miss out? You have to have an additional two years or you got to have something else? <laughs> because apparently I can't get a job. I couldn't. I, my first job out of school, paying job was it Auntie Anne's pretzels? And I said, this is not God's plan for my life to be throwing pretzels. And, yeah. and, and this is where the overqualification came in. As soon as I started that job, within two weeks, they bumped me up to shift leader. Within two weeks after that, I was assistant manager. Okay, I may see this overqualification thing. And it wasn't because I was an expert pretzel folder. It was because of my mindset and that determination of what I wanted to do and how I did it. So I'm saying, okay, I have to get in, do something else. And that's when I ended up going to grad school and doing MFA and, you know, getting that, that degree so I could teach, you know, mm -hmm. on a college level, on a collegiate level. So when I went to school and started teaching, I saw the desire of students wanting to be designers. And then I saw this laziness that I remembered from my time in school from my, uh -huh. my people. They were just sprinkles, you know, little specks in the buttermilk. It wasn't a lot of black students there. And they didn't have that drive that I had. It almost felt as though once I got into, if they was in a predominantly white school, well, hey, I've arrived. It doesn't matter if I'm any good. I'm already here. So they got to graduate me or they got to push me out or they got to do this or I can pull the race car. And no, you have to be good at what you do. There are blessed, talented people that God gives to. And then there are people that can acquire a skill set. And if you go to any HBCU, and you find their catalog and it talks about their visual arts program. They are training you to work for someone. Yes. No, you will not be working for someone if you're in my my area. You will be working for yourself is what I'm trying to change that mindset. They're training you that you cannot own your own business. And it's written. And I'm saying, why are the HBCUs writing this? information as though we're only good enough to work for somebody as their assistant as their skilled hand or something of that nature no i am the designer when i met a student one time at at, um, at alabama a&m he says i'm a graphic design major and i said well i haven't seen you before and then he he said who are you i said i am design at alabama university i am if you 
want graphic design for Alabama A&M University, you have to come to me. There's no other option. I am designed at Alabama A&M. So anytime you need something, I set that standard there that this is what you're going to do. And I'm trying to make an army of many means that's thinking like me, that I want you to think in this process that you are going to own your business. You are going to be that designer, that sought after designer. But you can't be lazy while you're doing it. You can't be. That issue of whether or not HBCUs filter enough money, filter enough interest in what their programs are doing, you know, they don't do that because they don't think of it as being some as a career. They don't think of it as being something other than, hey, so-and-so can, quote-unquote, draw. Or, oh, you mm-hmm. know, they can draw that over there. Or, they'll do it like like it's just a trade. Hey, call this place. They'll wash your car. You know, they'll do a good job of it. But they're not a car detailer that, hey, this is what we made our living off of detailing cars perfectly for the showroom for. They don't think of it like that. Wow, so much of what you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, like I know what you mean about that thing of you look back and you see students and wonder like some have the drive, some don't have the drive. Because what you mentioned again, you know, I'm making comparisons here to myself, but I sort of felt the same way. Like, well, I graduated; my degree was in in math, mm-hmm. and I could not get a job after I graduated. I was selling tickets at the local symphony mm-hmm. and art museum because I couldn't get a job. Like, with, with a math degree. There were like a handful of choices. You could go into grad school, you could be a math teacher, or you could go into like insurance and be an actuary. And I didn't want to do any of those Mm. things. It wasn't, I think it maybe was two and a half years after I graduated, after working a slew of customer service, telemarketing type of jobs, that I finally got my first like design job. Mm -hmm. And it's like, of course it wasn't in math. I haven't, you know, done any sort of math related work as, you know, it relates to my degree. Like I haven't been... (laughs) teaching math but eventually i end up ended up myself kind of going into design education and it's not for an hbcu i mean i do it online i've i've done it for devry i'm currently doing it now for media bistro and i see what you mean about you look at at black students and they don't have that kind of drive they expect i don't know if they're expecting a handout or they're just expecting to kind of coast through but i i know what you mean that feeling that's like do better Why aren't you doing it's, better? It's maddening because yeah. they, they wake up. And you know when they want to do better? When I've experienced the want to do better two semesters before you graduate. And, there, <laughs> you know, there's always been a, to me, I say when the students are ready, the teachers will show up. Yes, and absolutely. I have a different mindset in the classroom. One of my classes, are, it's a mind-blowing experience. I, I say I create a dynamic learning environment. And I do that when the students are ready. But initially, when I come into the classroom, in the beginning class, I come in pushing that dynamic learning environment. That's what I, I push that. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And I'm taking them step by step. So that first class is a step by step. And I told them there is method to my madness. It's maddening for them because, oh, Ms. Williams, she's all over the place. Oh, Professor Williams is going crazy. No, it's not that. I'm trying to put a lot of information in my mindset 
in eight semesters. I only have eight semesters to do this. This is a lot of information that you need. We got to touch all, all four corners of the world, if you will, in eight semesters. That's what I'm thinking. So I come in full force ready to pound this information into their heads as graphic designers. And I'm sidetracked by general studies of some sort or mm-hmm. <laughs> something that why do I need to do this or why do I need to do this? Or I'm sidetracked by someone that says, I'm just in graphic design because I want a job. Well, you won't get a job. If you don't have a desire to be a designer, you will not be doing a design job. Can you imagine a chef coming in and say, somebody who's in culinary arts, I'm just here because I want to get a job. Well, if you're not a good cook, no one is going to hire you. Right. You know, like, what is this? I mean, can I get my steak done, please? You know, they're not going to hire you unless you are good at what you do. So you have to be good at it. You can't just have the title and it's just a title that you, you know, put on yourself and you're no yeah. good at it. You have to be good at it. I told somebody one day, hey, criminals are only criminals because they're no good at it. They only get that title because they failed. That it's not, not, you know, that's how you find out that they're no good. Because uh-huh. they're criminals, okay? They got caught. If they, <laughs> if they were good at it, you'll never hear about them. You'll never, there'll be a mastermind. Nobody will ever know. We wonder who's doing this. They'll never know. Whoever that is, that person is great at what they do. You want to be great at what you do. You don't want to be that designer that nobody uses because you're no good or because you don't know your fonts or you got 20 fonts on one page and you think that, oh, it was cute. That type of stuff. Or you pull a picture off of the internet and it's low resolution and it has this god off a JPEG artifact on it. And you send that thing to print and you'd be like, I wonder what happened. Why it's so fuzzy. Wait a minute. You post. This is what you do. You have to be good at it. So it's it's something with students. They feel as though I'm in this because I want a job. That's not the way to go. I always like design. I always like art, but I really don't know what it is. Then this is not what you want to do. To me, design, you have to have a burning desire to do this. When you wake up, you're saying, okay, why did they put this front here? I find myself in the stores looking at stuff where I won't buy things if they've changed the logo. <laughs> I stopped buying Juicy Fruit. I tell my students this. I stopped buying Juicy Fruit after they changed the logo to the bubble juicy font. I stopped buying it. I like the double mint font, how they had the, that packaging years ago. And that's what I like. If it does not look like that, I won't buy it. So if you change the logo or something, I'm noticing these things. If you change that, I won't patronize your business anymore just because of that. And that's just a designer thing. I went mm-hmm. crazy when I saw old Charlie's rebranding. It's awful. <laughs> And they spent $30 million on this rebrand. And I'm saying, oh, my God, they didn't call me because clearly I could have saved them a couple <laughs> million and it would have been good. Who did they get to do this? And this is the time. And I tell my students, I said, look at this, that people are doing these types of things. You want to be as passionate about this as I am. You want to be as passionate about this as you say you are. And not just I want to have a job because I guarantee you if you're good. And you're passionate about it. It doesn't feel like a job. I mean, I'm designing all the time. And I know that's what I do. I take pictures 
Uh, I photograph, you know, weddings. I do all of these things, but it's just art to me. That's what I do. And I happen, just so happen to get paid for it. It doesn't feel like work. The work for me comes in the educating. That's work because I'm constantly trying to, number one, explain to you that to your layperson who doesn't know anything about art, that clearly you don't know what you want. You think you know what you want, but you don't know what you want. Let me show you what you're trying to say. Let me express to you visually what you are telling me. And so I can make this work for you. How do I look going into a doctor's office? I'm sick or something to that nature and say, uh, hey, I have this call. I had it for this year. I need you to describe me X, Y, and Z because this is what's going on. And so just write me the prescription. And the doctor says, oh, yes, Miss Williamson, and hand it to me because I'm now I'm doing the doctor's job. I don't know what's wrong with me. That's why I'm here. When people come to designers, you don't know what you want. That's why you're here. It's my job to teach you and tell you what you need, show you how to produce your idea. And I'm teaching, trying to teach these students to see that way. The client does not know. They have this, this want, but they're not really sure what it is. It's your job to pull it out. But how yeah. can you pull it out when you're unsure of what you can do or how to do? Well, I like that you're really sort of arming students to do this from this uh this kind of entrepreneurial mindset, like you said, there is this, and I don't know if it's necessarily so much for design. I think that's kind of a, you know, and I, I mean, I'm making a broad generalization here. I feel like that's kind of just a black cultural construct yeah. as it relates to college, where what you're learning, and you sort of spoke on this earlier, like what you're learning is so you can get a job, mm -hmm. no, you know, so you can work for someone else, not arming you with these skills so you can go out into the world and make an impact independently as opposed to kind of being just some rank and file worker. But like you say, you have to light the fire under the students and make them want it. They have to have that burning desire. I spoke with Leon Lawrence III. He's art director for USA Weekend Magazine mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. And he was one of the early co-founders of the organization of Black Designers. Mm -hmm. And so now, I mean, it's it's been 20 plus years since the organization has started. It's kind of fallen a little bit out of favor they're trying to do a bit of a resurgence and one thing that he mentioned to me was that they went to Howard University mm -hmm. to try to talk to students and try to get the design students there kind of fired up about coming to you know events and things like that and he said that he felt like the students felt like I don't know maybe like the sense of entitlement like we'll come if there's free food or we'll come if there's like a band or if it's a party or something mm -hmm. like not just coming just come. for their own sort of, yeah, to come for their own personal edification to see where this will improve them mm -hmm. as a designer. It's like, oh, well, I'll come if there's some type of a, a benefit in it for me, not knowing that them going is the yes, benefit. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I believe that is um, one of the issues when we spoke about AIGA, you know what? I'm interested. What was, before I make this statement, what was, do you know the breakdown of Howard's department in terms of male to female ratio of designers or artists, if you will? Do you know what that Oh, yeah. I don't know that offhand. Yeah. I don't. One of the things I have run into, it drives me, me crazy with this, is that I have a few students. Most of the entitlement issues that I see come from the women. Hmm. I have a lot of, I'm just going to say this, my experience since I've been at Alabama A&M, 
And I didn't have this experience at Louisiana Tech. This is the weirdest thing. At Louisiana Tech, it was, like I said, predominantly white. So you had maybe about, out of, this is just a rough guess, so out of maybe 50 students, maybe three of them were black, okay? Okay. So you had the black men that felt like, hey, I'm here, and you should be thankful that I'm here in this program, and so you pass me out whether I'm good or not. This is at, at Louisiana Tech. That's how their mindset was, or that was what they displayed to me. The black women that were there, oh, they had the burning desire like I had. I got to get better. I want to get better. I have this desire to do this. I want to do this. I, how can, Miss Williams, how can I be a better designer? How can I be a designer that knows this is right, this is wrong? How can I design just like that? How can I see that like you see? And know that this something about this ain't right. That's what they wanted. That's what the women wanted. The men had that entitlement that, hey, I'm at a predominantly white school. You should be happy that I'm here type thing. When I got to Alabama A&M, it was reverse. The men wanted this. They had this desire to want to be better. They wanted to do more. Ms. Williams, how can I put a spigot in your head and just turn it on and just filter all the information out? Well, that won't happen, but I'll show you <laughs> how to you know, get to where you want to be. But the women, hey, Ms. Williams, I'm here. Just let design fall on me and sprinkle it you know, like salt as, as it may, and I'm going to be a designer. And I do not understand it. And I think that is what drives me crazy. The women... I have more women in graphic design at HBCU than uh-huh. I had at Louisiana Tech, which is predominantly what we call it, PWI. And here, the women don't want to do anything. Therefore, that answers the question to why there are lack of women designers in general. Most of the women designers that you know on a panel or anything, yet, nine times out of ten, they are not of any other persuasion but Caucasian. That's and true. you will find a sprinkle here, a sprinkle there. When person said, name another black female designer that you know. Well, there's you and there's <laughs> where there's you. And I said, well, name a black design professor. Well, well, there's you. And I'm sitting there saying, well, somebody please find me these people so we can all get together and have a discussion and figure out how we can all get together and fix this huge, huge problem. In design education in general. And then mm-hmm. we can address, because that's the, the lack of education is why we can't address the huge problem of just blacks being out as designers in general. It's because of a lack of education. When you have a lack of, you cannot produce at all from any, on any type of level. You have a lack of white blood cells, you can't produce the antibodies you need to fight off an infection. So you have to have more. There is a lack. You can't do that. So everything. We have to figure out how to figure out how to get these design educators, these black female design educators together. It's a man's world, unfortunately. No offense to you. (laughs) That it's hard for to be a double minority in a field that is just encompassed with men. I I remember in Mississippi Valley, like I said, um, D'Artagnan Winford was the Valley's uh, graphic designer. For a mm-hmm. while, and he was doing amazing things, amazing things. 
And he was found by, I believe he was found by a female that was a marketing director or whatnot. But I guarantee you that she couldn't find a female designer first. You know, most women gravitate to say, hey, let me pull another female in to work along with me. But then you have that almost crab in a bucket syndrome where ooh, they're fighting for power type thing. Sometimes mm. when you get two women together. So I don't know if there was none available. Or if the whoever hired had to be cautious, you know, of that. And that's a mindset that we're in at certain points of time. You know, when he went to I think I think D'Artagnan, D'Artagnan is at is at Jackson State. Jackson. Now. Yeah. And I at one point in time was looking like I told you, I'm primarily in Huntsville during the year, but I was born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi. The designer that I I wanna say that introduced him to getting to Jackson Went to school with me as well in Mississippi Valley. He was um, Jerry Redman. He was a couple of years ahead of me. I've been designing for a while. And so I want to say that, okay, that, well, Tamika is, is established as an established professor at these universities. No one has ever reached out and said, hey, Tamika, do you do design work primarily on the side to do design work here? Because I'm they filtered me in as an educator only. Not mm. a practicing designer. Designer. And you yeah. know, you think about this as okay, most of your teachers, your art teachers in your public schools are women. It was always Miss So and so that taught you how to do this. You have the men in the shop. Yeah. You have maybe a, a female <laughs> choir director, you have a male band director sometime, but the women there were women artists. Okay. Always yeah. one female in the classroom with a bunch of guys all the time. And some girls are in there, you know how they say back in the day, oh, she's just in there because she's fast. No, I'm in here because I want to learn how to do art. I remember in high school, there was one girl, she was a feminist before her time. You know, she always said, we're doing all this stuff. And Tamika has been drawing since I was in kindergarten. And she remembered because we did go to school all when we grew up. And I was always drawing. I was always in art. And she remembered that. Y'all always getting the guys to do something. Y'all never gotten a female to do anything. And I ended up uh, designing the graduation invitations for my high school because of this young lady who said, hey, you never select a woman. It's not common. They don't see us as being designers. It's a male type thing. And, you know, I constantly fight with these students saying, hey, especially a female, put out a more predominant showing of what you can do. I have one designer, I'm, I'm one student designer who is so good. She is really good, but she is so lazy. She is as lazy <laughs> as she's equally good. And it drives me crazy because I want so much for her. But if she doesn't want it for herself, then what? I fight with them like this. And then, you know, I find myself, I told somebody, I can go out in the middle of the street and start teaching in the middle of the street. It doesn't matter. I don't need to be in a classroom to teach wherever I am. Bam, right here, I'm in the middle, especially when it comes to education of any sort, whether it's design education or just, you know, the, the status of art in general. Oh, we can, we can have this conversation in the middle of the street. We don't have to be in a classroom. So this is a type of longing that I constantly try to to try to put into the students and desires I try to put into the students but it's it's a constant constant fight oh there's a oh my god there's a lot to unpack with what you mentioned 
I guess I'm surprised, and I'm not saying this. Please do not, if people are listening, like, please do not think me as a chauvinist. Yeah. This is not the case. You know, I love women. My mom's a woman. My grandmother's a woman. I'm not coming off like that. But a lot of what you mentioned, like, I understand and I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, when, you, when you're speaking to how women are not, I guess kind of stepping up to the plate. I don't know if that's really the best way to put it. I don't know if it's a stepping up to the plate issue. Or not realizing like the importance of them being in the industry and what that, like what that means in terms of like visibility and optics and wow, that's so, I'm not even sure what to say about that because like, so (laughs) when I encounter a similar type of problem, Mm -hmm. when it comes time for me to find people for this show, so when I do my outreach, I mean, I've got a, a, a spreadsheet and I just add designers to it as I run across them. And then every month or so when I do outreach, I reach out to 20 men and 20 women mm-hmm. just to come on the show, you know, kind of see. Because I know people's availabilities are different. And so I try to reach out to enough where at least if a good percentage of that comes back, I can schedule it out for the next few weeks or so. And I'd say if I reach out to 20 guys, probably at least 17 of them will get back to me. No questions asked. Whereas if I reach out to 20 women, maybe two or three will respond. Mm-hmm. God, I, I, I'm really not trying to come off <laughs> in a bad way by saying this, but like when it comes for me to get women on the show, and I would love to have more women on the show, I'm actually making it a point now for the next few months to only reach out to women mm-hmm. to be on the show. Because I realize that when I look back at the show archives and stuff, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of guys here and I do want to hear from more women and I want their perspective. Women have always been very strong supporters of Revision Path from the very beginning. It only makes sense in that respect, but also just in terms of trying to strike some kind of a balance. Mm -hmm. But women give me the hardest time when it comes time to be on the show. And I mean, it's frustrating because it's like the people that want to hear from you are other women. Like women are the ones that write me the most with the most glowing recommendations Mm -hmm. women like i said have been the biggest supporters both you know financially emotionally etc and i'm like people want to hear from you Mm -hmm. as a black woman designer or a black woman developer and you're kind of giving me this this feedback like oh you know i don't know if i want to do something like that or or like it's looking down on on what they're trying to do not realizing the impact that it would have just for them to kind of tell their story and show that they're a visible part of the community and not just kind of a designer in name only. Well, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a catch 22 sometimes when you feel you want this recognition and you want people to know who you are in some kind of way. And I'm going to tell you this because I am responsible for this myself. I, I know I do this. You cannot find me anywhere because I am a best kept secret. A lot of people will say, oh, where have you been? I haven't seen any of your work. You know, you did this. Oh, my God. Who did this? You know, we'll get a lot of that going on. And people will say, where, where have you been? And I'm saying, I've been right here. But I have no time to do promotion. I have no time to do all of these different things because I'm too mm-hmm. busy trying to drill in design education, run a program at the same time, still be a practicing artist, still want to be a Photoshop guru, if you will, and just continue to do those types of things. Oh, I have no time to deal with the politics of marketing myself so people can know who I am. I have no time to do that. But in the same breath, will be pissed to high heaven 
if no uh-huh. one offers me an opportunity to do a job I know I could have run rings around, yeah. but there was no way they could have known who I was. There's no way they could have known my capabilities, but there is no time. It's almost like I need a personal assistant to get out there and say, hey, go market me. You know what I can do. Get out there and do that. That's your job. But I had no time because I'm too busy trying to create these designers. How many times have you seen art teachers just go by the wayside and you not know who they are because they're so busy building these artists, creating these artists, developing these artists, you are here about all of these people. We had an art teacher in Mississippi Valley, Ms. Vaughn. If you say her name, everybody knows who Ms. Vaughn is. But I don't think Ms. Vaughn would get the credit. Now, me and her, of course, only female professor in Mississippi Valley. Do you know the female student that comes in has a run in with the professor? Me and Ms. Vaughn argued all the time. I don't, I have no idea. To this day, I don't know why we did, you know, and stuff like that. But she always said, oh, Tamika used to give me a hard time, but was one of my best students. And I'm saying maybe it was because the same reason I argued with the females in my class. I want so much more for you and you don't see it. Mm -hmm. I want so much more for you and you are giving me a hard time because I'm trying to make you do more. And when the females actually get out there, they, they're thinking it's fashion, they're thinking it's this. They put so much care into what they wear and how they do their hair, how they do their makeup, you know, what type of accessories and stuff they have. It's an entire event just to come to class to not want to do anything as a designer. You design your whole outfit, probably have your whole week of this stuff out there. But at the same time, you won't put that same care into the work. Why are they doing this? I have no idea. Like I said, it's an entitlement issue at the HBCUs with the women, but it wasn't like that at the PWI. I with the women there, the I never had the issue. I can I can call them out right now, you know, don't want to, you know, put them out there, their names out there, but they were some strong designers and they tried really, really, really hard to do the best that they could and they they worked hard. I had never seen a group of students work like that as designers and as female designers. And I and I wanted them to go further. I wanted them to do more. You know, some of them were doing design work, uh, you know, got right out of school and with with Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Tech had a professional degree. So a lot of them did not pursue advanced degrees because it was a BFA. They they were equipped to go out and get a job with that degree. At HBCU and at most HBCUs, it's not a BFA. It's a BA or it's a Bachelor of Science. You have to have an additional three to five years of experience of some sort in order to get the job because they don't believe that you have enough experience and enough work to go out there and do a physical job as demanding as a professional degree. And they, the students don't look at that. They don't look at that. The, some of the guys now are looking for internships their sophomore year at A&M, Alabama A&M. And they'll ask me, Miss Williams, where are the internships? So I'm getting on AIGA. I'm saying, hey, you need to be a member of AIGA. We need to get this together. You know, I had a list of guys that were interested in being a members of AIGA. One female. And I said, hey, we have to you know, do better. Put your name on the list and stuff like that. Because after I talked to you the very first time, you know, I walked out into the classroom, into my lab. And I said, hey, you know, we need this 
AIGA chapter here. We need to get a chapter here so we can collectively, you know, bring our ideas together, collectively go to different places, go down to University of uh, Alabama at Huntsville, go down to University of Alabama at Birmingham, go down to Sanford University. Um, I have a colleague that went to graduate school with me that works, who's heading that graphic design department down there. And let's go and collectively, you know, get together with other designers so you won't just hear my voice. You know, mm-hmm. I've sat on that committee down at Birmingham for AIGA to review portfolios. Only fly in the buttermilk once again, but, you know, but more female designers. And so those types of things I see, you know, I want to be want to have more female designers. I want to see more female designers, but I want to see more black female designers. And that's been something, you know, I don't know if what type of trend I'm setting or what type of role model, if any, that I am because I know that my biggest flaw is not being visible enough for anybody to see me as a role model. Like I said, I'm a best kept secret. I'm not out there enough like I should be. I don't promote myself enough like I should be because I'm I'm so busy under the scenes trying to create more designers so people can mm-hmm. see them. So it's almost like a catch-22 constantly. I'm trying to create these designers that I want them to be. I want them to be like myself but don't really want them to be like myself because you can't see me. So what do I do in that regard? So I don't know what the women, I constantly talk to them. I constantly talk to my students. Hey, let's, let's get out there and let's do this. And I I guess it needs to be a resurgence of some, of some point of female designers in general to get together to see where our heads are at. But at the same time in their defense, I'm going to say they don't have time to do things because they're doing so much. So that may be the reason for your lack of response from some of the women in their defense. But, you know, depending on what, as me being an educator, I don't know how many of them you reached out to that were actual educators as me being an educator that I took that opportunity to say, okay, here's another opportunity for me to educate someone on something so that you may have more success reaching out to female educators and then you do with regular designers. Are HBCUs arming designers with the knowledge that they need to kind of really compete in the marketplace? Or is that kind of the wrong question to ask? Wait, there? HBCUs in general, that question I cannot answer. Am I okay. mark, uh, arming them? I try to, like I said, there's method to my madness and what I do. The way I set my curriculum up is a stepping stone. You know, one class, although the classes are sequential in some form or fashion, I try to set them up as stepping stone as this is what you learned in class one. And we're using what you learned in class one and class two. We're using what you learned in class two and class three. I set it up and build it that way to continually to touch on what we did from the very first class. Remember when we did this? This is the same thing. So there's method to the madness of why you're doing these things. So I try to set them up that way and with with the curriculum. And since I have I'm basically the coordinator of that curriculum, I can develop it the way I want to. And so I try to do that. I try to arm them in that way. And with the experiences with uh, the internships, you know, they get that extra added dose of, you know, working for someone and things like that. So I want to say that. Most programs probably are doing it that way, but outside of the programs that I have taught in, I cannot say it affirmatively. I know what I do and what the programs that I have taught in have done. 
Wow, I feel like there's so much more that I, I want to ask. But I guess one kind of last question to ask, and then I want to sort of focus on you personally. Mm-hmm. A lot of what you mentioned has has related to kind of, like you said, kind of being the fly in the buttermilk, being the one black person or, or the one black woman that's available maybe at, you know, a portfolio review or in your department or something like that. What are your thoughts on diversity and like design academia and education? I spoke actually just fairly recently with another uh, design educator. His name is uh, Silas Monroe. Mm-hmm. And he's taught at a couple of couple of different schools. I think right now he's going to be teaching at Miami University, which is in um, located in a small town. Yeah, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, him kind of also saying that, you know, when he's been doing his teaching, he's sort of been like the only person of color or maybe there's like one or two other people of color and what that means. Now, now his teaching experience has been largely at, you know, kind of more predominantly white art institutions like a, a RISD mm-hmm. or a MICA or something like that. But like the importance of seeing, you know, for a design student, the importance of seeing a design professor that kind of looks like you and what that means in terms of kind of forging that bond. Because, you know, earlier when we kind of spoke about HBCUs and why people would, would attend, I feel like one of the inherent benefits of that, if you are a black designer or want to be a black designer attending an HBCU is that you kind of have that those professors that look like you that are not just look like you, but they are looking out for you. Mm-hmm. So, so sort of, as you say, like you're talking to your students and really trying to motivate them and, and get them going. I can remember when I was at Morehouse, I had those professors that were just like that, where it felt like it was more than just a professor student kind of relationship. Like they really were looking out for you and wanting you to succeed, like period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as it relates to kind of diversity and design, you know, academia and education, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a very interesting question. Ooh, I, I, I want to say this the right way without offending, <laughs> look, offending anybody, but just find time for me to think about offense now. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, white professors at HBCUs, mm-hmm. which is mind-boggling to me. It, a lot of white, especially art professors at HBCUs, it just boggles my mind because I'm trying to figure out not necessarily why are you here, but at the same time, why are you here? Because clearly at HBCU, where although we promote the diversity, I guess I don't really have a problem with it in English and math and, and different things like that. But when I see a white professor teaching African-American art that does something to my mindset because I'm saying, wait, but mm. it's because a lot of programs, you know, a lot of uh, Caucasians have been interested in in this area and they have been interested generally in art and i don't know if hbcus don't look to hire black artists which is is weird to say but sometimes hbcus do not hire black artists because there are a lack of them in order to teach on a college level in art you have to have mfa so that which, which means that your MFAs have to be attending, you know, these programs and you have to have black MFAs at Louisiana Tech. There was not a black MFA that I can remember. So the teachers that we prepared, I want to say while I was at Louisiana Tech, if and this, this could be inaccurate. I had, you know, have to ask somebody about this. But if we graduated, let, just let's just say three to four MFAs through the time I was there, 
So about 20 to 30 students that were MFAs, none of them were black. So we just created 20 teachers, college teachers. None mm-hmm. of them were black. And so that right, then we just added to the pool of more, you know, white college professors out there, art professors with no, no black. So I don't know where the black MFAs are. That's your question. That, that leads to the diversity. The answer to your question, where are, how is the diversity in education or our education in general, wherever the black MFAs are? Is going to. I'm going to tell you that when in your research and when you do your research and you find out, you're going to create a list of MFAs, and I'm going to tell you this with affirmativeness that you are only going to have about 15 black MFAs on that list after you do 100, 100 to 100 people. It that's it. 100 to 200 people. You're not going to find a lot of black MFAs. They are a handful of them. And because there are not a lot of black MFAs, there will not be a lot of black professors in art at all because you need that MFA in order to teach on a college level. So without that, there's not there. You have, and then the ones that do have MFAs, like Memphis College of Art, I can name you, Jerry Ritman has an MFA. He graduated from Memphis College of Art. Jocelyn Blake, Carlos Taylor. These are all black MFAs that I know myself, of course. So there's four right there. Jocelyn is teaching at Southwest University, I believe. She's teaching like adjunct there. Jerry Redman has his own design business, and he teaches there. He's you know primarily in Memphis. So those are two black designers right there that do a lot in, in North Mississippi and in Memphis area and stuff like that. I think Jerry did some stuff at Lamont Owen College, and I know Jocelyn was doing some teaching there. So there are two designers with MFAs there that are not at a you know four-year institution teaching design students. Then you have Carlos Taylor, who is the graduate coordinator over an MFA program at Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. So you have him. He's there, but here he is, another male, but he's in that that design education. But he's trying to teach, develop an MFA program and get, get more students and things in that program. But you may have one or two, you know, black students. So because there are not a lot of black students that are in the MFA programs, that's the first thing. And because there are not a lot of black MFAs, that is going to always be the reason why you have a lack of black professors in the college scene, on the college scene for for teaching art education and design education. Wow. Yes, it feels like it's a it's a cycle when I um, was doing the research for my presentation for South by Southwest about where are the black designers and I had a slide in there where I was talking about sort of the the enrollment at larger art schools as it relates to the number of black students that they have and they're usually all below 10% and we're talking at you know larger well-known art schools like an SVA or or Micah RISD SCAD etc but like you said in order to teach you've got to get that MFA so you're not only going through sort of one very rigorous and very expensive design program just to get your bachelor's degree. You're then also going back to school and going through another rigorous and expensive, you know, kind of course of education to get your MFA. And then from there, you sort of can go into into teaching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It can be, you know, kind of a, a hard road to go. It's doubly as hard if you want to really be a design educator because you have to have that burning desire and be committed to it. And, and it's... It's not a simple thing. It's not just as simple as saying, oh, where are the black 
you know, design professors. Exactly. There's levels to mm-hmm. it as to why there's not a lot of black design professors out and there. So. When you reach that level, do you know how untouchable those designers are? And so this may answer your question about depending on the black designers that you have reached out to, if they have an advanced degree. So we're going to say first, if they're not they're the homegrown designers where they had just been working, their experience encapsulates why they do what they do and the reason why they're so talented. You know, they're just, you know, your folk artists, if you will. They just develop this design set and they have honed it to a way that it's almost an expert level with the exception of those people. If you have your black female designers who have advanced degrees, it is impossible, almost impossible to touch them because not only do they know what they're doing, they have an extensive of knowledge and they, they're very good at what they do. This The MFA is a very hard degree to get. It's, you know, because it's, in theory, it's a terminal degree. It's, well, not in theory, it is a terminal degree. So mm. it, in theory, it's the doctorate level of your arts. Okay? So with that, you know, because that's why you can go into a university and teach with that terminal degree. So now you're talking to, not only are you talking to a black designer, black female designer, you're talking to one with the MFA. Oh man, she knows what she's talking about. And so she's on an entirely different level. She's almost untouchable and unattainable to come down for a little bit to say, hey, let's talk to me for a minute and talk about design education. She doesn't have time. You know, so it may, it may, that may be the reason, one of the reasons why you cannot get you know, to them, or they don't have time. But like I say, in their defense, I'm going to say that's mm-hmm. why they, they yeah. don't have time. But you know, and then some of them just say, "I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that." And only the only God knows why. Only the, maybe they don't want to contribute to that to that that part of the design culture for for whatever reason, for whatever their their own personal reason. It may have something to do with you know the the ratio of men to women and things like that. So they don't want. They just don't want to deal with it. You know, you have a lot of people, even how the civil rights movement went, we're just going to, we're not going to deal with it. We're going to let someone else deal with it. And when they deal with it, we'll get on board if we feel the need to or the move to. And so those are sometimes some of the things that you have to deal with as, as an educator, just in, in, in general, you have to be that first one to get out and do whatever it is that you want people to do or you want to see them do. And, and until there's enough insurgence of people doing that, then you won't get involved. So that may be one of the reasons reasons why. But, you know, that MFA being a terminal degree and being the, the type of degree it is, you're at an expert level. Those designers are at an expert level. And um, mm-hmm. so it, their knowledge, you know, their mindset, my mindset is constantly going. Like my mind, a lot of people will say, you know, I don't understand how you think that way. How do you think that way? Or, and my answer is, how do you not think this way? Because to me, it's just, it's almost like, intuitive is waking up i can do it it's just how i i believe and it's it comes from my design education and and it's just it's that inherent to me I, I try to make sure i give that to those students and you know i want like i said i would love to be on a panel of women designers just to hear what they have to say and see are we even on the same level or the same mindset and even thinking or if they're coming from a totally another area that i have never thought about but it's rare for for there to be an area that I have not thought about because of how I function. Well, if there are conference organizers that are listening, <laughs> you need to get in touch with Tamika. 
because she definitely knows what she's talking about. You need to have her on your panels, pay her, fly her out, put her up, let her speak, because she definitely knows what she's talking about. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit okay. here, kind of more personal stuff. Are you where you wanted to be at this stage in your life? Oh, you know, that's a great question, because when I, you know, when I was at Mississippi Valley, I remember my resume and my resume said that, you know, how you do the objective. Objective yeah. was to be an associate professor of design, teaching blah, 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 and a practicing designer. And I am doing those things. So, yes, it was for that question. But I remember being with a student at Valley and we were saying that at some point in time, I wanted to do a be a department head or something over a design program. I kind of stay away a little bit from administration issues because I don't particularly like the politics and those things. But at the same time, sometimes you have to, you know, you may not like the politics, but you need to actually be involved in those things because you are going to be the ones that make that difference. So as in design education on a college level, I feel there's a way, a little bit more way that I have to go to really be where I want to be. But as an actual designer, I feel that I'm where I need to be with that in, in my artwork and things like that. What advice would you give to someone that's kind of just starting out in design? Like I know you probably give your students some great advice, but let's say this is someone, maybe they are, I don't know, like in high school or something. They're looking to go to a design school, be a designer. What advice would you give them? Well, first, if I would want to know if that is something that they really want to do. And so I question why do you want to do this? Because the answer to why they want to do it determines what I say next. You know, if it's something that, oh, I've always thought about design, I've always wanted to do those things. Because you want to always want to separate the people that are, I'm doing it because it's something to make money. Those folks to, I really love what I'm doing. I'm trying to separate those two. The ones that's doing it for money, you may want to find something else that you need to do because you're not going to be good at it. You're going to be in the mindset of just trying to make money. You're not trying to make art. Designers who love design, who love art, they're always constantly going to be trying to make art. So with that, they're going to constantly be trying to get better. And I always tell them to continue to draw continue to sketch and continue to research. If you do not read, if you do not draw and do those types of things, you're going to you're going to miss out on something. But you want to always keep those things going. Always keep your schedule. I don't know a time that I don't have a sketchbook. I went to the emergency room uh, yesterday with a sprained uh, ankle and I had a sketchbook with me. <laughs> you know, I, had a, I always have a sketchbook. All of the time, because I'm always sketching, always writing, always saying something. So I always tell them, have a sketchbook, continue to draw, and continue to research. It's just important as a designer. If you weren't doing this, what do you think you would be working on? It sounds like you've always had this burning passion and desire to design, and, and also, I think, to educate as well. I have no idea. Do you know I have been drawing? I've been doing art since six, and my parents have always encouraged it like every christmas i will always have new art supplies every christmas if you know there was never a christmas that i did not have something art related so they always encouraged that i'd always been you know been doing art and things all my life so i do not know 
what else I could be doing outside of some type of motivational speaking, if you will. I, I don't know what, mm-hmm. what else I could be doing other than that. Yeah, I've always been been doing art forever, forever. Where do you see yourself in the next few years? Will you kind of still be teaching? What do you want to do? You know, you know my, my biggest thing is in, in terms of what I want to do. I am, um, I do a lot of tutorials, you know, art tutorials, online tutorials, and I love doing it. I love explaining how to create something, you know, develop something, how to do a magazine layout, how to do all those things. And I do these, record my desktop and actually do these, you know, kind of YouTube, if you will, tutorials. And one of the reasons, and a lot of my students say, well, Ms. Williams, why are your tutorials so much better than people on YouTube? Well, unless you're a Terry White or somebody of that nature who has a ability to teach, you're not going to be that good. Those, those YouTube videos are not going to explain to you what you need to learn because those people are not teachers. And, you know, there's, there's a guy and you should, you should look him up, Terry White. I'll just mention his name. He is a black Adobe evangelist, you know, for Adobe product. Yeah. He he lives here in Atlanta. I love that guy. His video, his (laughs) videos. Oh my gosh. I strive to be a teacher or a tutorial person like that guy. I love his work. I went to uh, Photoshop World and took one of his classes and he, he did a presentation there. Like, he's amazing. He's amazing to me, you know, and so I, I want to do things like that. I would love to to be on a panel with Photoshop World or, or you know, Adobe or something like that and, and you know, kind of reach out to people in that way. I mean, I love Adobe products. I love Apple products and I constantly... I'm always trying to create something with those things. And so I don't, I think that if um, in the next couple of years, I would try to figure out a way to promote my tutorials more. I'm actually trying to do that now and promote my tutorials more and promote my design work more. And really workshop is, is where I feel my best efforts are in terms of the next few years, a workshop professor, because I feel like I can do more impact as a, that, you know, that dynamic instructor come in for, three hours or you know five hours or you know do these workshops and people are just reeling from those workshops because because when I went to Photoshop World in Atlanta last year as a matter of fact those hour-long workshops I'm still talking about Photoshop World from last April you know and I'm headed to trying to get out to Las Vegas in August to go out there to to that Photoshop World and so I'm still talking about those things because that type of impactful, that type of dynamic experience is that's what I want to do. And um, not very many black designers was at that conference, but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> by the way. But I was there, and uh, and Terry White, as a matter of fact, was I believe the only. I want to say that he was the only African American I saw, and I know there wasn't any women. Wow. Yeah, I don't believe there were any black women there. Not that was teaching. They were teaching. He was uh-huh, definitely, uh-huh. But man, that guy's great. So I really aspire to be, be like, be like him in terms of how I present my information in that type of workshop type of form. Tamika D. Williams, developer, designer, evangelist. I can kind of see that. <laughs> I see that happening. Well, just to you know, just kind of wrap things up because uh, I know we've been talking for a while. Where can our audience find out more about you and your work online? Oh wow, you know, <laughs> jack of all trades. I have a photography uh, studio, so it's Williams Design Studios, and you can find that. And I, I actually have to give you that that URL is uh, www at 
wmsstudios.com. And that's where you can find my photography work. I'm actually in the process of developing my more educator workshop websites, and that'll be tdwms.com. And so those things, I'm trying to put those things together. But, of course, I'm on LinkedIn. And of course, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, all of those things, Twitter. All of them are, you can just find Tamika D. Williams and make sure you put the D in there because I that's how I trademark myself as Tamika D. Williams. Got it. Well, Tamika D. Williams, thank you for, oh my God, this has been such an enlightening conversation. I mean, I, when, when I say that, that it's been enlightening, I'm specifically really talking about from the HBCU design educator standpoint, because I feel, you know, I've, my mother has taught in an HBCU. I've went to HBCUs. I do outreach to HBCUs. And, you know, I just still feel like those schools get such a bum rap yeah. when it comes to a lot of things, especially as it relates to design. Like, for example, I talked about the my South by Southwest presentation. And I spoke to, you know, companies. Like, I spoke to people from Facebook. I spoke to people from Nike, from Netflix, you know. And these are, are companies that are like, yeah, we're really interested in, you know, kind of diversifying design. But, you know, we'll just say, well, have you done any outreach to HBCUs? What's that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Well, this is probably the first problem right here yeah. is, is you don't even know where to look. Or, or they're looking at the same pipeline mm-hmm. trying to find. What's that saying? Like the definition of insanity is. is uh, 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 doing the same thing over and over and trying to find a different result. Different results. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if that's kind of what they're doing. They're not even considering that, you know. HBCUs as a whole just put out more black graduates, period. Yeah, exactly. By proxy of, of what they are. So it's really just refreshing and enlightening to hear, you know, about HBCU design education and just to hear your passion behind teaching and really letting people know about why design is so important and what, you know, students and designers have as a responsibility for this industry in terms of, of educating and getting better and and really just kind of paying it forward so thank you so so much uh, thank you for coming on the show i really appreciate it thank you for reaching out um you know i was i was very you know i remembered our conversation that we had on the phone about aiga and i, I was it was remarkable because i think after we talked for a little bit i went and looked looked you up and, and things like that and i saw why this guy is doing so so many things and and i, I appreciate appreciate you doing that and uh, you know thank you for doing all that you do and bringing a lot of designers together and, and, and creating a forum where we can actually get together and, and speak about design and, and the things that we're doing as a as a culture you know that's that's very important and, and I would definitely tell my students hey look up some of the the uh, interviews listen to the interviews and things like that so they can have another resource because I think a lack of resources is causing a lot of the problems. And then at the same time, you know, you know, you're saying Nike and those people reaching out. Unlike me, I'm very, very busy. And some things, depending on what the the lines say in the email, will determine whether or not I click on it. And sometimes those things cause you know, I get Maurice probably since we've been on the phone, you know, I've gotten about 60 emails I've seen just pop up since we started about nine. So mm-hmm. it constantly these emails come up and I have like four or five email accounts. These emails are always coming up. And so if they're not something that I can look at right then or I may look at and then 
don't forget, y'all you know, may forget to mark it as unread to go back to it. That may be why, you know, some of the reach out from these other companies, if they do actually reach out, you know, be, may get unnoticed. So, you know, doing a better, we do as designers need to do a better job as promoting ourselves and, and getting out there to these corporate worlds so they won't have an excuse of why they haven't contacted us and reached out to us because I like I have a slew of designers ready to go. Some of them I have trained uh, very, very well. Some of them I've known and have worked with on other occasions, but I have a list of designers that I'm, I guarantee you that if I send you the list and uh, people are looking for them, I say, hey, I have students that I've taught. Let's go. Let's go get it. You know, because we're out there and um, we're trying to do something. Yep. Well, again, thank you. I do appreciate you taking the time out to uh, to speak to me and to speak to the, the listening audience about what you do. All right. Thank you so much for having me. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Tamika D. Williams, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Tamika and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Of course, thanks as always to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have really great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free, with no contracts and no credit card required. Check them out today at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code DOGDAYS at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. And if you see something else that you like, use the discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, This Is My Tape For You, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners, helps more people discover the show, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge level start at just $1 a month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you next time.